Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. So, the season finale of The Mandalorian starts off where uh, Dr. Pershing and two Imperial pilots are being chased down uh, in a shuttle by Slave One. Slave One uh, has been shooting at them, and they say, we're going to board. They do board, uh, and there's a bit of a back and forth. Uh, One of the Imperials shoots the other Imperial and takes Dr. Pershing hostage. uh, And then in the process, taunts Kara over clearly being from Alderaan. Uh, They do some Empire versus Rebel taunting back and forth. Kara shoots him in the head, uh, taking off Pershing's ear in the process. Uh, And then uh, the Kara and the... Fennec and uh, the two Mandos go to recruit Bo and Casca uh, on some random planet. Uh, when Din and Boba walk into the bar, uh, Bo is being an absolute dick. Yeah. Uh, but at the opportunity to get the dark saber, uh, she is intrigued uh, and ensures that Boba and Casca can get along so that they can all get what they want uh, on their main mission to hijack uh, the Darksaber and Grogu from Moth Gideon's light cruiser. There's a bit of a hostile encounter there too because Bo-Katan is yet to accept the Boba Fett of it all because he's in Mandalorian armor and we know that Din's on board with that now. But anyway, they're going to put their differences aside and they're going to, uh, well, go after the child because everybody has something aboard that ship that they want. And so they arrive at Gideon's cruiser. Uh, Boba Fett um, parts ways, I guess. Is this the point when he leaves? Yeah, so the plan is essentially that they will pretend it's a chase. Boba will pretend to chase them in the Imperial shuttle that they've stolen, uh, and then they will use that as an opportunity to do a crash landing aboard Gideon's ship, uh, and then Boba speeds away with hyperspace. Right, so uh, inside, uh, they kind of spread out. Uh, Kara and Bo, uh, the, the, the ladies, I guess, uh, take down some stormtroopers. Din hunts for Grogu. Uh, first he has to do battle with just one uh, dark trooper. He's able to close the door before the entire uh, garrison emerges, but one of them gets through, and that's enough to, like, really shake him down good. Uh, Thank God for his Beskar uh, spear. He's able to kind of pry its head off, and ultimately um, uh, he he wins that particular battle, and then he finds Grogu uh, in the cell. I should say first, um, our other heroes arrive at the bridge. They kill everybody off. They don't know where um, Gideon is. That's because Din finds Gideon in the cell with Baby Yoda, and he's holding that dark saber. Yes, and so right before this happens, uh, Din is able to shoot the remaining. Um, dark troopers off into space and so we think that they're gone uh, Gideon and Din have uh, a bit of a back and forth uh, Gideon is uh, providing a history lesson on Mandalore because Din never knows any of the context of information uh, and explaining the importance of the dark saber and Din does not give a shit he just wants the child and Gideon sees this as an opportunity for everybody to get what they want and he says take the child I already have what I need uh, but Moff Gideon is a mustache twirling bad guy and he <laughs> goes and he takes a full hack at Din with his back turned when he goes to pick up Grogu. Um, and Gideon, I don't know, maybe has a, like a dozen hacks at Din before Din pulls out the Beskar spear. Uh, and then the the fight we've expected all season long ensues. Uh, it's, it's pretty badass, but pretty short. Uh, and Din uh, disarms Gideon, uh, has the Darksaber, and 
Gideon is very excited to not be killed because he is eager to see what happens next as Din drags Gideon to the bridge and Bo is livid that Din has the Darksaber in his hand because she knows the history and how that works and Gideon begins to explain to Din that he is now the rightful heir to Mandalore by defeating Moff Gideon in combat, the current wielder of the Darksaber, and he cannot hand it over to Bo-Katan. Uh, it is his from combat win. Uh, and then as a result of that, uh, Gideon has bought himself enough time that the dark troopers just so happen to be circling back to the ship yep. and everybody's going to be fucked. They lock the blast doors. Shit's not good. Right. I, I guess that's a good point. All that to say, except uh, also Din is very happy to give over the lights, or the dark saber. It's just not going to be good enough in this moment. And then we have yeah. to kind of put that drama aside, apparently for season three, because it doesn't come back um, because the dark troopers are hammering on that door it's kind of a phantom menace uh cold open moment like uh, things are going crazy uh and then a certain version of rescue appears to arrive a single x-wing fighter could it be uh kim's convenience cara dune herself is like great one x-wing X-wing. great we're saved we're saved although many of us at home have a suspicion about this x-wing fighter as it flies into the docking bay uh, and we begin to watch the emerging solitary figure uh, on black and white security footage in a large robe, which, of course, indicates to us that, yeah, it's probably a Jedi. Then, of course, we see a lightsaber. Yeah, it's definitely a Jedi. And then we cut to uh, uh, a live action uh, visual of a familiar green lightsaber just rocking yes. the shit of these dark troopers like they nothing. And uh, we're giddy as can be. Do you want to round this episode out for us? Sure. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, we get to see the the cloak. It's black. Not many Jedis wear black, but uh, one of our favorite original Jedis certainly does. Uh, you get to see that it is green. You get to see that he is wearing uh, a gunslinger's belt buckle. You get to see that it is the the copper-necked um, lightsaber that he has. It's every single hint they possibly drop. Uh, and then he just goes up to the blast doors and waits. We get uh, an incredible, incredible uh, light side Jedi version of Vader's hallway march scene. Uh, instead of taking out a bunch of good guy rebels, uh, it's Luke Skywalker taking out a hallway of Terminator droids. Uh, no life is killed, um, but that essentially he's cleaned the ship up completely and the guaranteed death of our heroes is completely flipped on its head and Gideon tries to kill himself in the process because he knows it's not going to go well for him. Uh, but that is shut down and Kara kind of knocks him out with the butt of her gun, uh, opens up the door. And uh, in that entire process, Grogu is feeling the pull from the Jedi. He has his hand on the on the little screen. Uh, he tells Din to open it up. Din asks if, uh, if he's a Jedi. Um, and uh, he says, I am. And he explains that Grogu needs training. Uh, that Din promises to Grogu that they'll see each other again. He takes off his helmet and they share a really nice moment. Grogu doesn't want to leave. He touches Din's face and then he holds onto his leg. Uh, but there's one thing we know about Grogu. Uh, he may love Din, but he loves shiny, uh, spherical, rounded objects. Uh, and the dome-headed R2-D2 beeps his way into the room. And that is enough for Grogu to be, okay, I'll let go of Dad's leg. I'm a little curious now. This kind of seems fun. And uh Yeah. Grogu turns to, to R2-D2. R2 does his little happy dance, and uh, Grogu puts his arms up to Luke Skywalker. Luke picks him up, uh, and then uh, Din and Luke exchange a glance, and Luke, R2, and Grogu 
leave. And our final shot is just of the remaining heroes. broken. As brokenhearted as we are staring back uh, into the... Uh, the exit of, of the most adorable TV character in years. Of course, there's there's a post credit scene, but let's save that. Let's talk about that mm. later because we got so much to discuss. Um, I, I've watched as many times as I've watched this episode, and I kind of pulled a you this week for obvious reasons. Watched it just a bunch. Um, although I'm a bit of a masochist because when stuff like really hurts my heart, as did that that final stare, the helmet free, mm. let mm. me look upon you with my own eyes moment, uh, and then like you mentioned, even more so the holding onto his leg, like. Mm-hmm. It's like reverse homeward bound when when Shadow comes home. Um, it hurts so much, and I, I just watch it again to see if I still have the power to feel, and sure enough, I do every single time. As many times as I've watched this episode, or the last 10 minutes of this episode, I've also watched it um, a lot of times through other people's eyes, uh, because everybody who does a YouTube reaction video channel is, yeah. of course, doing the season finale of Mandalorian in the last few days. And I found it really striking how few people... Uh, are able to confirm it's Luke by the copper neck of his lightsaber hilt. Because to me, that was when it was certain. Sure, the green lightsaber, like... I mean, as soon as you see the X-Wing fighter, you know that they know that even if it's not Luke, Mm -hmm. they know what they're doing. They know that they're suggesting it to you. So when you see the X-Wing, I'm like, okay, I'm 80% sure that's Luke Skywalker, but maybe it's not, and they're doing that on purpose. And then you see black robes, and you're like... Well, maybe it's Ahsoka, or maybe it's Ezra. Like it's it, maybe it's somebody I don't know especially well. Um, but still, they want me to think it's Luke. Until I see that lightsaber hilt, I can't know for sure. And once I do, I know for sure. Yeah, I, and I agree with that. And it's something where you see the X wing, and you're like, "That's an old X wing." It's very clear that Red Fives. That's that's an old school. It's it's got no paint left on it. Uh, it's just like this white X wing. Um, the black robes, not many Jedi wear the black robes, the green, it's consistently confirming, confirming, confirming it. Um, but yes, for me, even right before the, the hilt, you do get to see his belt buckle. Um, yeah. and that is not a Jedi's belt buckle. That is Luke Skywalker. Um, but yeah, of course you, you know, what's coming. And I love the fact that they, they do the breadcrumbs so that you're, every time you get one of those new things, you're able to cheer. Um, and it, I think it's interesting. You said you watched some of the reactions. There's, uh, a podcaster who uh, he's he's an Aussie, but he's a very very well known um, Star Wars podcaster. He's been podcasting uh, about Star Wars for about a decade, um, and he's just a massive Star- Luke Luke Skywalker fan. And he started like an online campaign called Ignite the Green after the Force Awakens. Nice about his excited his excitement for the Last Jedi. And there's even a little interview uh, of him interviewing Ryan Johnson, and Ryan Johnson won't look him in the eyes <laughs> just about what's about to come because it's right before Last Jedi. But I saw his kind of reaction, what was happening, because he had a live stream. And it was, he turns into the Joker. He's hysterical. Oh, um, wow. It, he, he is like, no. And, but by the sign, but like a couple seconds in, he, he has the, he grabs the lightsaber from next to him and he's just holding it. And he's just like laughing at, like the Joker, but crying with excitement. Uh, and it's just like, ha ha ha. And every, every so like on cloud nine, because I mean, if you had no idea what the rest of the galaxy was going to be like, Luke Skywalker is your only point off for a hero if you grew up with just the original trilogy. We've been fortunate enough to grow up with original six almost. I mean, we kind of remember a sliver of time, if if barely, um, before the prequels came out, but not, not really. really. Not really. No, yeah. I, I, I don't. I, I can remember like my earliest moments seeing those early movies, but uh, you don't remember kind of that mindset, whereas... A lot of people grew up with Luke Skywalker as the only hero. And so I don't, 
as much as I, I don't like how many people are bringing up an opportunity to shit on the last Jedi over this, or they like, Oh, this is my Luke Skywalker. Um, and I think that's all uh, obnoxious. It is also really, really nice for so many people to finally, including us to finally get to see Luke as a fully trained Jedi. And it's doing it in a way that stays true to the character. He's killing droids. He's not killing like stormtroopers. Uh, it's not Luke Skywalker. Um, like we're not going against like, yes, it is him taking his laser sword and going up against the first order. And some people are like, Oh, ha 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 ha. Um, literally doing exactly what Luke said he wouldn't do in the last Jedi, except people apparently forget the fact that that's literally what he does at the end of the last Jedi. So it's like, it's all consistency with Luke Skywalker. And yeah. I think it's great because I think the way they handled him in the sequel trilogy is so important, but what you did with the clone wars with Anakin Skywalker and with all these other characters we have 30 years. There's no reason we don't still have 30 years of Luke being a badass. And if we have the ability to tell those kind of stories in ways that stay true to the character and don't seem weird and fit within the storyline, which it already had because we knew there was a call it to a Jedi. Yeah. It, it was just, it was fantastic and checked so many boxes for so many people, which is great. And I think people forget that this is actually not that removed from Return of the Jedi at all, right? This is uh, five years post Return of five the Jedi. Six. Yeah, because it's nine years post Battle of Yavin or something I heard somebody else say. And so it's uh, they've changed it a few times. OK, he hasn't. My point is he hasn't been a Jedi master in the traditional sense. Maybe, I mean, I guess ever because the tradition is gone, but he hasn't been a powerful Jedi for really that long grand scheme. Granted, he is the most powerful Jedi ever. And so it makes sense that he's so good at this. Of course, mm. he's not actually doing anything um, hostile in this sequence. It's defensive because those are machines. Um, mm -hmm. And then he shows up peacefully uh, to the bridge where, frankly, a lot of other pretty violent folks have been hanging out. Good guys or bad guys. Mm. Um, I find it interesting that you identify that Luke Skywalker is the singular hero for a lot of longtime generational Star Wars fans. Because I'm also not here to shit on the sequels. You know I like the sequels. I think maybe more than the average bear. Uh, yeah, and I, I do too. And I really dislike that... Um, for a lot of people, you can't even like something Star Wars without then taking something away from, you know, just one minute of Mandalorian is better than all three of the sequel trilogy. Come on. I'm not here for that. However, exactly a year ago, we saw The Rise of Skywalker for the first time, and I liked it, but then over time, we were able to kind of deconstruct what's what's wrong about it and therefore the trilogy in general. And, and one of the things we agreed on was that we were a little Skywalkered out by the end of, uh, you know, making Rey a Skywalker and just this kind of like neat packaging resolution that it all comes back to Skywalker. And that's, that's fine. But it was like a little problematic. And, and, and I would have been, I actually don't think they did a great job of it, but I was, I was, I was okay with the Skywalker heaviness, but yeah, sorry. All right. I, I, I was a little Skywalkered out and, and certainly psyched to see what more they could do beyond the Skywalker family. And that's frankly one of the great things about The Mandalorian is that it doesn't appear to involve the Skywalkers at all. And then as much as I love this episode, and I'm going to I'm going to talk about how much I loved it for the next hour, um, they did then bring back, they brought Skywalker into the fold. And I, I'm, I'm a little worried if Disney has a Skywalker savior complex. Like at the end of every day, are we going to go, well, but it does come back to Skywalker Palpatine. No, I don't think it will. I, I think this was one that we have to consider who wrote the series. And uh, John Favreau wrote this series a long time ago. Um, and uh, initially, you can tell from the concept art, like it was Boba Fett. 
was Boba Fett who rescued a, a, a little baby Yoda and uh, eventually, I'm sure, delivers it to Luke Skywalker. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this was the end of John Favreau's original script. Uh, it wouldn't surprise oh. me if this was his story and that it was kind of a um, one saves the other sort of process. I have a counterpoint to that because I think it's also possible that though this season was great, it might have been a bit of a diversion from the original plan. Because this time last year, Disney didn't quite know what they had on their hands. Which is to say, even Disney could not have predicted the cultural phenomenon that baby Yoda would become. Well, and no, I, I think they had to service him in the second season better than they otherwise might have. And now they might be afforded the opportunity, now that they've written Grogu out of the show, at least for the time being, they might be able to get back to Mando being Mando. Well, that's the thing. I, I, and I think that's a lot of people have that point. Like, oh, you started watching the show not knowing that this kid was going to be in it. But that's not why we still watch the show. The show is about Din's relationship with Grogu. Totally. And I don't, yeah. and I don't feel like it really makes sense to, to, to deviate from that. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's potentially the case. But I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, th I think that enough of season two was already, I'm pretty sure all of season two was already written before season one came out. Maybe. Because um, they so did start early. They did, and they had to keep that so much of a secret that um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it is influencing the writing on season three. It wouldn't surprise me if that, or that as these first two seasons have gone, John Favreau has changed maybe some of his initial plans. But Luke Skywalker was the only Jedi that John Favreau was ever going to put in that situation because he was the only hero John Favreau ever had yeah. in that regard. And so it makes complete sense at this time, who is he gonna call out to the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy would be Luke Skywalker, uh, especially the one who is um, cares the most at finding the history of the Jedi. So he would be the most one most likely to be at another Jedi temple, i.e. like maybe Octo, where would be more likely that the call from one Jedi temple could be maybe heard at another. I don't know, I'm just piecing that together in my mind. Um, but it just it made too much sense for it to be Luke. And I don't think that they're going to go overboard with it being Luke. Um, I think this is kind of one of those little tidbits. Uh, yeah, I don't. And it, and it does connect the galaxy together. But I, I think the problem is that you can't ignore the Skywalkers simply because this isn't a Skywalker first story. Same way that uh, Vader should be in Kenobi. I kind of feel that way. Um, it's. Well, it may not be the, the the choice that seems the most consistent with the show's DNA, but is the most consistent with the rest of the galaxy. No, that's different because Skywalker is um, implicit to the Kenobi story. Like there is no Obi-Wan Kenobi like legend. He's a great Jedi, but like he's great because of his relationship to the Skywalkers. That's not been true for, for Din the Mandalorian. No, but it, what has been true for Din since very early on was returning Grogu to wherever he's supposed to go, yep. and there is no Jedi Order. Luke is the closest thing to the Jedi Order at this point. He's the only one trying to start anything, and right. so it, it, it does make sense in that regard uh, that he does have that relationship existing indirectly. And it is nice now that, because I, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people saying, like, maybe Grogu's gone, maybe he'll only be back one or two more times. I mean... They, they don't write in, we'll see each other again, I promise, if it's mm. not leading towards something. That, like And you're right, that is the heart of the show, is the relationship between this father-son, essentially. Um, but they're going to keep them apart for a little while, because they want us to wonder about this for a little while, and that sucks. But yeah. we're not going to see Baby Yoda for maybe a year, maybe more. 
Uh, well, we're not going to see anybody for a year, but we're it's going to be a while before we see the little guy again. Hopefully, we see him as a little guy again. I, I wonder if he'll like be different when we see him. But anyway. Um, yeah, we could do a time jump. There's some rumor that there could be a small time jump. Or he could um, level up Pokemon style like you've been Well, I have said that before. I still think he's yeah. aging like a frog. Yeah, I think that's very possible too. Um, but what's nice, and, and to my earlier point about, about getting back to basics with Mando himself, is that now we have a, an opportunity to actually explore what it means to be Mandalorian. Because frankly, he has no idea. And there's been mm. very little of that. There have been some pretty sizable uh, uh, clues dropped in this season involving... Uh, the heiress, Spokatan, involving the Darksaber, the throne of Mandalore, and now the fact that, frankly, the Darksaber is Mando's. It's his property. That's his main weapon right now. And He's I, the leader of Mandalore now. And I, I, that's right. And I, in a way, that's all he's ever wanted, right? Like, is I mean, to he just wants to belong to something. Mm. So don't don't you also want to be like an honored member of the culture in which, you know, you, you so desperately seek, uh, belonging. My, my point is like the next story is whether or not he can actually be the leader that, that the creed says he ought to be. And, and frankly, now that we've kind of neutered Gideon, at least for the time being, the main villain is Bo-Katan. True. I I wonder if, I wonder if that's not so much going to be the case. I don't think he wants to be the leader, and I don't think he cares so much about being a Mandalorian anymore. Nope, I took off his helmet. Kinda, I think that was part of the the point of these the second half of the season. I think it's going to be less about him trying to be a leader and just trying to be a good person. Yeah, uh, Grogu made him a better person. It made him um, more willing to and more flexible. And like, will like, will he be completely morally lost? Will like, what will be like? Will he just completely ditch all of it? What will be the thing that, um, like, where where does he go from here? Uh, who is he aligned with? Does he because he doesn't have his clan anymore? Is he just going to go follow Bo-Katan around and then realize maybe she's like, she's really got some serious control issues, and uh, maybe I don't want to be aligned too much with her, sort of thing. Well, that's a perfect segue for me to ask you about some of the rules of the dark saber because i did a little reading and here's what i understand Mm. uh she didn't have to kill sabine to get the dark saber the first time and mando didn't have to kill gideon to get the dark saber from him and so even though he tried to say i yield and hand it over and gideon's like no you can't do that aren't there clearly loopholes with the dark saber where he can like maybe they can kind of performatively have a duel and he can let her win or is that going to bruise her ego? Because she clearly has a bit of a streak. Well, that's the thing. And so that's what a lot of people are theorizing. Because now everybody says, oh, here's a plot hole. And anybody with a- enough sense to trust Dave Filoni g- understands that. I mean, the guy who's given us the most content of Mandalorians, I'm going to guess remembers that they're allowed to take their helmets off and will give us an answer as to why Din isn't taking his off. And so I think it's going to be kind of following that same sort of approach. So something happened. We don't understand why Bo-Katan doesn't have the Darksaber anymore. And we don't understand how Mandalore got even worse than it already was. Like the night of a thousand tears sort of thing. Like, what was that? Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have been theorizing and it makes complete sense to me is that she got embarrassed and that she, she ceremoniously took it from Sabine and that potentially that meant nothing to her people. And that maybe, she was just not perceived as a real, like a, as, as Gideon says, um, she would be a pretender. 
uh, and maybe she was viewed as a pretender. And ultimately that's why she wants, she wanted to win it from Gideon back right. because Gideon took it from her and she wasn't even really like, she never won it in the first place and Gideon wins it off of her. She's got to win it back. She can't just be giving it back. Oh, so you're the one ruler of Mandalore who's never, ever actually won the Darksaber. Two people have given it to you? Fuck off. You're not a, you're not a Mandalorian. You're not a, a warrior. That's like for such a an, an ego-driven culture that that wouldn't work. Uh, Moff Gideon has not used his rightful entitlement to the throne of Mandalore to any extent we've seen, right? Like he clearly wants the power and he says it's not just a sword, it wields power. Having it means you're powerful. He wants the weapon. But story has power. The story has power. But like we haven't seen what he's able to do with it like politically or... No, we, we kind of have. And I think that's a subtlety though. I think that comes from uh, all of Mandalore being so broken is the fact that if the leader is literally the empire and is trying to kill your people... Like you're, you're putting like Mandalorians in these little underground factions and you've, you've separated them across the galaxy. That's that's exactly what he would have wanted to do with the Darksaber. Is yeah. to completely just shatter the Mandalorian culture and make them no longer unified as a singular um, culture. And so that's what Bo is really trying to get back is if we can unify the families with the Darksaber, um, that way we won't have infighting and we'll be able to reclaim our planet back from Mandalore. So it's likely that, like I, 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 I believed earlier in the season um, that we were going to end up probably on Mandalore or if not this season, next season, because I expected Gideon had some form of like big ass outpost there. Wait a second. Mandalore still exists. It hasn't been turned to glass. Uh, well, interestingly, I heard somebody say that that may actually be turned to glass um, in certain areas, literally, uh, because we have seen it. Uh, it was like a like urban like it was an urban planet in a lot of ways and it was bombed to smithereens by the empire. Right. And so we see it in rebels, like in clone wars, it's urban In rebels. It's like salt flats uh, okay. and desert. I and thought so, it got Alderaan though. I thought it was blown out of the sky. No, it didn't get blown out of the sky, but Mando seems to believe that it's like inhospitable and that you can't even go there anymore. Okay. But by the sounds of things, potentially it literally could have been turned to glass if the sand itself was, then bombed okay if you're because if you burn sand at a high enough temperature it turns to glass yeah and so literally if you light a sand planet on fire <laughs> like boba is he's not necessarily being serious but he's also maybe not exaggerating to the degree that we think he is maybe uh so i wouldn't have could... thought of that i just i love the description of something that's been blown up as turning it to glass because you just picture like a a busted bus shelter or something <laughs> mm. but also the best scar angle as well because we we know that they have completely raped of it of all of its resources right and so they've done everything they can to really just lay it to, to bear i can't wait to see what it looks like that'll be really cool let's talk about beskar because uh it is identified early on as like a qualifier uh mm. these are your powers these are your weaknesses early on the dark saber can cut through anything except for beskar and we knew this i guess we knew this kind of going yeah. in already um and then we get that duel that we've been predicting all seen uh, all season the dark saber against the mandalorian staff which is indeed pure beskar they've used the word pure to describe it and Sure, I guess, but it does appear to be heating up. Is this just a nitpick? No, I, I, that was that was what I expected. Okay. That's just what I expected. Like, yes, it, it can't cut through pure Beskar, but I imagine it can. It just, it can't. Like, it, it's, it's not going to cut through it. Mm -hmm. It will 
like the same way like Qui-Gon used cuts through the blast doors kind of. Yeah. He's still able to get his lightsaber through with pretty much ease, but it takes him a while to move it through. I imagine that Beskar, you're not even getting through. You're not even like starting to make that dent, but eventually over time it will burn. It will hit a, a melting temperature and your lightsaber will probably be able to pass through. The other, but in a duel like that, you're not going to hold it up against each other for like five no. minutes or 20 minutes. The other uh, Beskar nitpick is that we both were under the impression that dark troopers were made of Beskar and I guess not. Well, they were never in Legends, but they were made of Frick, which was uh, one of the other metals in the galaxy far, far away that had similar properties to Beskar and uh, was lightsaber proof. My guess, just logically, it would make sense if these were like a Beskar alloy so that they were because like they were blaster resistant, they were mm. flame resistant, uh, like they were pretty hard to take down, but a lightsaber took them down with with relative ease. And so they're definitely not pure Beskar, but there's something that's keeping them um, so incredibly like rigid and strong. Uh, and it was interesting because uh, they did the reverse by making these pure droids. And so in Legends, the third iteration of the Dark Troopers were the ones that fit humans as opposed to the ones that no longer needed humans. Right. And so they kind of flipped that around. But that makes sense. And that was a, a really good fit for the for allowing Luke I mean, to kick ass. Obviously, these are some of the coolest and strongest droids we've ever seen in Star Wars. They kind of have like a... I, all, all season, I've been calling them a cross between Darth Vader and Iron Man, and, and maybe that's just because of the Favreau of it all. I actually think if we're going to make uh, Avengers comparisons, they're a lot more like Ultron. And in fact, mm. there, there are like kind of camera visuals that appear to mirror some of that. And just because of their like enormous brute strength. Mm. Um, Apparently, they're similar to like... Um, there's some robots in Battlestar Galactica okay. called like Cylons or something. Apparently they look a lot like them and people are making obviously the the quick mind uh, brain jump because of Katie Sackhoff. So. Oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. The, the other thing is like we've had, they kind of seem to be playing this like, like when Dr. Pershing says uh, there are no humans inside, they're all droid, they, they've eliminated the, the human factor because it was a weakness. That's fine. I understand what he's saying, but that has existed before. Like in the prequels, most of the army was droids. They were lamer, mm. but like, it's not like this is the first time in Star Wars they've taken the human factor out. No, no, it's, it's a matter of these droids are, it is one of the first time the empire has done it. Okay. Yeah. The empire didn't deal with too, too many droids. Um, I mean, they had some, but not so much for, uh, for for destruction um so when it came to like, they use droids but not so much as a military whereas this is like a black ops force and so they haven't done it before but like these are like almost like the it, they're also supposed to i think um mirror the super battle droids as well that almost kills din in the flashback in season one yes uh, and right. so there's a lot of it going down to um Din being the Mandalorian saver for for Grogu, the way that the Mandalorians were saviors for him, sort of. So well, and IG droids are a lot, are a lot more hardcore than battle droids too. Like they're yeah, definitely. But they they were they were less of an imperial droid. But even like K two S O, for example, is an imperial droid. And yeah. It's badass, but not that's not its first. His first use isn't um for like black ops shit the way these dark troopers kind of are. They're like black ops droids, which never really have existed. That duel between Mando and Gideon felt a little short. Mm. He's a great actor. All of his scenes are phenomenal. 
But I feel a little unserved by him in this season. I don't know what to do with him next. I don't know why they're so desperate to keep him alive when he's this dangerous. He himself wanted to die, which, by the way, really dark for Star Wars to put a pistol to your head at any any moment. Um, mm. And he survived the season, but as I said, completely neutered. So what happens next for Gideon? Break out. Okay. You think so? Because yeah. you've never said that he is the definitive ultimate bad guy of this show. No, I think he will be, um, at least for the next season as well. And season, or maybe not next season, but season four, he'll be coming back. Um, I, I think you and I have chatted a little uh, off um, pod and uh, just in, in, in on the pod, um, Thrawn likely being the Thanos of the Favreau, Favreau and Filoni verse of this time period. Yeah. Um, but I would still imagine Gideon will be the main antagonist for Bo and Din, especially now that they have more backstory with each other and they have more, um, uh, their next battle is going to be even more engaging. Uh, right. But uh, Gideon was good with the Darksaber, but Din punked him off. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it wasn't that long. It was a pretty quick fight. Um, no, yeah, he was uh, not nearly as strong as a single Dark Trooper, by the way. Like, Din, Din had a way harder time with a Dark Trooper. And I know I'm a little all over the place here, but, like, when he was smashing his head into the wall, that Dark Trooper was like, did you think at any point that helmet might shatter and then that would be the end of the, the helmet? Because I kind of thought no. for a second, like, oh, that, that helmet's fucked. No, I didn't. For some reason, it, it didn't look like it was breaking. It just looked like it was one of those moments where it was uh, him just getting his ass handed to him, similar to the mud horn sort of thing. Um, but no, I, I wasn't thinking that, uh, you're not the only one who, who has thought that though. And it makes some sense. Cause I mean, especially if it was Beskar, Beskar on Beskar would be what's going on there. Yeah. The, the music in that sequence in particular is awesome. And, and the whole episode, the music is amazing because they clearly used a full orchestra for the first time. And so the whole incredible. episode and we have Luke's theme at the end, but in that, that uh, new theme, yeah, it's great. In that sequence in particular where he's face to face with, he's mono, uh, a Roboto with that um, dark trooper, um, all digital score. I don't know if you noticed, but like the rest of the episode is this full orchestra. And it's so smart that in that sequence, we get digital music, which is rare in Star Wars in general, although mm. Gorenson's kind of this young buck. Uh, this robot, of course, is not human. And that's the whole point of what makes them terrifying. And so why not reflect that in music as Star Wars has always done so beautifully? I just thought that was a, a neat. Yeah, it was cool. Like they had techno and like the it was in, troopers were like marching. So in intentional. And I just thought that was so cool. Yeah, no, it, it was really good. The, the scoring was incredible, and especially when Luke shows up. Right. Like, that was something, that was some epic, epic scoring. Did you make any observations about Luke's uh, lightsaber style? Uh, it was uh, very similar to Anakin's. Yeah, one-handed, which, was... which is not what we've seen from Luke before. Uh, the reason for that was because of George's philosophical change. Okay. Um, so he had uh, the belief that swords should be considered broadswords and required two-handed use throughout the original trilogy and scrapped that for the prequels and moving forward with Star Wars. Um, he wanted the control and energy. So especially if you were um, new to using a lightsaber, you really got to be consistent and, and, and take into account the, the energy and the power that you're wielding. Um, but uh, powerful Luke Skywalker, one-handed should be fine sort of thing. And even like Vader, for example, and Luke, they do more one-handed stuff in Empire. There's no like one-handed stuff in A New Hope, for example. 
But yeah, it does change his style a little bit. But that shows you that he's matured a little bit more and that he has more strength and that he's able to kind of use his surroundings a little bit better. Uh, definitely fighting a lot more uh, measured and, and thoughtful than he does against uh, when he's hacking and slashing against Vader. Right. Well, exactly. Like, yes. it, it was cool to see him uh, be very Anakin Skywalker in that regard, too. Can we talk about the Uncanny Valley? Sure, let's definitely talk about it. Um, it just... I can send you a clip of one that's better. I found one already. Oh, that someone's uh, deep faked it already? Yeah. Look, I just can't bring myself to complain about it. I wanted to put it in the take backs. The... It... Yeah, it's imperfect. Star Wars has always had a certain amount of imperfection in its special effects. Matt Slaney was like, he asked me yesterday, was there any like backlash about this? And I was like, no, fuck off. It's it's Star Wars. Like, could you do it? It's 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 really great. Well, and that's actually the problem. Well, it's the fact that there's enough people online that can do it better. Um, I just don't know. I, I don't know enough about the technology. I think that it might be an oversimplification to say we could do it better. Like there. I don't know. I don't know enough about deep fakes. I just know that it's you know, it's uh, this is my other thing is like. Star Wars never fools me. Like, I know it's fiction. Like, I, I don't, I, I'm not suffering from being reminded that it's not real. I know it's not real. And I'm, no, I'm loving but, it anyway. Yeah, but it's still off-putting. Um, and I will say this. It actually makes a massive difference with screen you're watching on. It's, it's, it makes a massive, massive, massive difference. What do you mean? Example. Uh, the TV I watched it on, yeah. it looked weird. Watching okay. on a computer monitor, it did not look that weird. There's only it one was, shot that looked kind of off to me. Like when he first takes his, his, his hood off, I'm like, that's good enough for me, baby. That's great. Yeah, there's a, a lot of um, skin smoothing. That's one of the big problems. But the big one is the fact that he has dead eyes. And you, you wouldn't think that. But when you see somebody else do it, his eyes are d like dead as hell in this. Mm. Um, and it, it's fine. But it, it does bother me that you can find dozens of better Princess Leia's online for the end of Rogue One and yep. already for Luke Skywalker on this. Peter Cushing one, I think, is still actually... Well, the best one is is Luke uh, in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, but he's wearing a uh, helmet there. He is. Yeah. That is true. And part of the reason why this looks a little weird is the the, the hair. Um, and Peter is Cushing a, is a strange-looking person, too. He is, and he's old. He's wrinkled. Yep. So that's beneficial. Um, and if you see them side by side, it's there's still, you can see it can be improved, but it is the best one. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, I'm okay with it. I'm totally okay with it. Like, don't, like, don't get me wrong at all. I'm, I'm totally okay with the fact that the way they did this. Luke, I was thrilled that it was Mark Hamill. I prefer that to being like Sebastian Stan. Uh, funny enough, the guy who, um, I forget what his first name is, but his last name is uh, Lloyd Jones, mm. the guy who did the, the body double for Luke in this which is funny because James Earl Jones and Jake Lloyd. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So that is so Lloyd funny. Jones doing Skywalker movements. And they probably couldn't believe that. That's so fun. Yes. I, I think there was a little bit of uh, inquiry about that. So Mark Hamill, of course, is is involved in this, but it's not his physicality. Um, and no. it is a modulation of his voice, which, by the mm -hmm. way, I think they did a great job on that because we would have known right away if it's 60 year old Mark Hamill doing the voice for 30 year old Luke. And that wasn't an issue. No, it was excellent. And I think whatever modulation they did was spot on. Uh, although I'm listening to the uh, the radio versions of the original trilogy, and there's a, so much extra Luke Skywalker dialogue that you can pull from that time period. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, they can but, use that, I guess, can't they? 
no reason not to. Why not? Sure. Star Wars properties, talking about Star Wars stuff, saying things like Han and Leia and... And Mark Hamill about- did the voice for Luke in that yes. radio drama. That's important. Yeah, to that's know. one of the key things for sure. And that guy's put in hours, hasn't he? Yeah, he loves his Star Wars. And that's why this was really cool. And he was thrilled that it wasn't spoiled. And man, that makes such a... Like when so much, so many of the appearances were spoiled this season to have the the big one not be. Right. It's crazy. Because even Ahsoka, like they spoil it in the season. Yep. So this was the real one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Want to do some trivia or quotes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, trivia, I guess. Sure. I had a hard time with trivia. Padawan question. Moff Gideon's Imperial Light Cruiser used to employ roughly how many crew members used to? Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, Don't overthink it. A hundred? Several hundred is all Several she hundred. said. And now it operates with a fraction of that. Mm. Um, what color is the button that opens the door, the blast door, <laughs> to reveal Luke Skywalker? Is it green? No. I don't know. It's yellow. Yellow. All right. Okay. Jedi Knight question. What is the name of the flash drive type thing used to open and close doors on the cruiser? Oh, um. Don't overthink it. The data stick? Is that what it is? Or What, what shape is it? It's cylinder? Is it a data cylinder? It's a code cylinder. Code cylinder? Yeah. Pretty close. Yeah, those things are used as like kind of like key fobs and USB drives. Yeah. Uh, and, but They've they, been pretty they powerful the last two episodes, actually. There's been a lot of these. Yeah, no, they serve a pretty good purpose yeah. uh, in the galaxy. But they also make a lot of sense, too, yep. in terms of ac- like, in, like accessing terminals and whatnot. Um, yeah. Um, what type of droid is seen roaming the halls of Gideon's ship? I don't know what it's called, but it's like a protocol droid, right? Like from from the original Star Wars, the one that has like kind of, it looks like 3PO, except it has like uh, bug eyes. It's mm-hmm. not as friendly looking. Yeah, it's actually a really uh, great one uh, in uh, in Rebels. Uh, his name's AP5, and yeah. he's, he's a very funny droid. Uh, but it's an RA7 droid, okay. uh, and he's actually the inverse 3PO. He is all silver, and he has a gold leg. Oh, no way. That's kind of so cool. It's kind of funny. Like they, they got mixed up in the scrap pile somewhere, probably. Since you mentioned 3PO, uh, R2, now the only Star Wars character to appear in all live action Star Wars things, not just the films. He's also appeared in the live action show. Uh, he was not in Solo. Okay, yeah. Anthony Daniels was was in Solo. Oh, all right. But not 3PO. Interesting. Played Sagwa, the Wookiee. Interesting. Okay, well, I kind of blew it on that observation then. Why wouldn't they find a way to put R2-D2 in Solo? I guess that would be... It wouldn't fit. It would be tough. I mean, it didn't really fit in... Uh, uh, was it... Uh, Rogue shoot, One? Rogue One either. Yeah, they kind of... They didn't, but it worked in the sense that... It did. Geographically. The way everything was timing, we get to... Yeah. Like, they're on Leia's ship. <laughs> they right. kind of should be there. So... Um, yeah. And an excuse for the fan service. The, yeah, it was an appropriate level of fan service right. for sure. My turn? Yeah, uh, well, this is a two-part. I'm going to ask you these both of them for um, the Legend one because it's fun. Uh, how many Dark Troopers do we see confirmation of Luke Skywalker destroying, and how many does he destroy based on the schematics that we see of the light cruiser and how many bays there are for Dark Troopers? I mean, I have no idea. I don't know. I think there's probably 20 Dark Troopers total. Nope. Okay. He takes out 39 Dark oh, Troopers. Nice. Yeah. We get to see 28 be taken out. Right. Din takes out one, mm-hmm. and there's 40 Dark Troopers in total. So Luke takes out 39 Dark Troopers. 
That's insane. This is the way. <laughs> Good for you, pal. All right, this kind of gives uh, gives away some of our post-credit sequence, but uh, what is the significance of Bib Fortuna's staff that he holds? Uh, it came with the action figure. And only the action figure, never before seen in uh, in cinema before. Yeah, they do a few of those things. Uh, apparently, someone also pointed out that there was like some super background character who had like a machete and the machete was one of the items that the Jawas offered Cobb Vanth in the pilot of the season. Like here, would you like this? What about this? No, I'll point, I'll take the armor. You just reminded me, we didn't see Cobb Vanth again. First episode of the season, we thought like, here's a great new addition to the series. Surely he's going to turn up in another, um, in another show, if not this show again, which is very possible. We'll see Timothy Oliphant again, but like, I'm a little disappointed. We only got one dose of him this year. True, uh, Rangers in the Republic or the Book of Boba Fett. Either of those are oh, very sure. possible to see him in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, before we talk about Book of Boba Fett, are you done with trivia? Uh, yeah, I'm done with trivia. Okay, um, I, just, I just wanted to talk about um, the the heartbreaking moment. Oh, yeah, sure. Of the helmet coming off um, and the holding of the leg in the face. Um, I watched uh, Muppet Christmas Carol the other day for the umpteenth time as one of my favorites. And it was specifically noticeable to me this year how tremendous Michael Caine's performance is considering how few other actors he's working with. And, and, and of course, there's a lot of humanity to Muppets. That's what makes them timeless characters. But this is still like a, like a classically trained British actor completely taking these puppets seriously and completely sells the role. And the movie is emotional and hilarious and uh, immersive. And I think Pedro Pascal, granted in a much smaller um, capacity here, completely buries that performance. Like, I, I mean, yes, he has like a very sincere um, relationship to an animatronic for the entire two season arc of the show so far. But in mm. this sequence in particular, especially face to face with uh, Grogu, which we haven't seen before, um, it couldn't feel more real. And we know that that to him is just a machine, a puppet. And it, it, it completely makes you well up every single time. And I just wanted to say like last year, uh, Pedro Pascal got nominated for an Emmy and that seemed a little silly, frankly, he's a great actor, but like, okay, this year it's legit. Yeah, it really is. It's incredible how much you just, you feel for him. And he's just, he's all I, all I care about is the kid. I'm only here for the kid. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, after all that go with him he's one what does he say it's it's so heartbreaking um hey go on that's who you belong with he's one of your kind i'll see you again i promise yeah all right pal it's time to go don't be afraid don't be afraid. oh my god don't that's be afraid so, it's it's so like it's very much like shmi um, yeah yeah that's saying so goodbye true. to anakin and hopefully a much different result um <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. We don't want Grogu slaughtering them like animals because of what happened to his dad, Dadalorian. No. Yeah, we don't want to see him coming back. I slaughtered Bo-Katan. She was an animal. <laughs> don't be afraid. Is a good uh, potential episode episode title for this for this podcast. Um, or or one X wing. Great, we're saved. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, I didn't know sidekicks were allowed to talk. I just thought that was a really funny Star Wars like meta line. 
That was a good one, especially seeing. And then what Boba Fett says um, after is, "Well, isn't the quack to call in the stifling slimy?" That's right. Yeah. With pot calling the kettle black. Um, you're uh, you're a clone. I've heard your voice thousands of times. That's like a good internal Star Wars oh, reference yeah. line. And that's a that's a deep cut. That is mean. Mine might be the last one you hear, though. Is Boba's great response? Not all Mandalorians are bounty hunters. Some of us serve a higher purpose. And like this I is like, good. it's just a complete misunderstanding of din like yeah you're, you're misreading him in, entirely that's not that's not what he's here for at all no but boba is that boba's a bounty hunter and a well-known one yeah um yeah. oh no it doesn't work that way the dark saber doesn't have power the story does without that blade she's a pretender to the throne right yeah he's such a son of a bitch another great the one blood of his. in his mouth as he's saying it yeah oh he's just sneering he's like loving this which is classic villain right like you said mm -hmm. uh twirling his mustache like he's just loving that everything even though he has been bested he just loves to see the the chaos around him another mm -hmm. one of his lines is uh, a friendly piece of advice assume that i know everything like the fact that your wrist launcher has fired its one and only salvo mm -hmm. he's uh He's just always, always on. He's one step ahead. Maybe in this sequence, he's he's one step ahead as well. Maybe he wanted to get apprehended. This is where it's going. I'm guessing Bo-Katan and her boarding party have arrived at the bridge, seeking me, or more accurately, this. But I'm not there. And I imagine they've killed everyone on the bridge, being the murderous savages that they are. Mm -hmm. And now they're beginning to panic. You see, she wants this. Do you know why? Because it brings power. Whoever wields this sword has the right to lay claim to the throne, to the Mandalorian throne. All I wanted was to study his blood. The child is extremely gifted and has been blessed with rare properties that have the potential to bring order back to the galaxy. He's just, he's soliloquies and is just explaining his position. And I see your bond with him. Take him. But you will leave my ship immediately and we will go our separate ways. Yes, you've clearly watched this a few times, by the way. You seem to have his cadence down. Nicely oh, delivered. I, I love Moff Gideon, though, too. He's such a good villain. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the you're sparing my life. Well, this should be interesting. Why don't you kill him now and take it? When they get there, like talking to Bo, like, kill him. Let's yeah. see this. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, evil. I do find it a little silly when he's like tossed aside and there just happens to be a blaster on the floor. Like this happens in every action thing. Like pay better attention to the guy you've arrested. He's very dangerous. And yes. he gets a, he lands a couple of shots on Bo. Like for a second, I'm like, did he just kill Bo-Katan? And then well, he's you trying to shoot freaking Grogu. And then right. Din once again has to step in. Uh, uh, I, I don't like Gina Carano, but she has a couple good moments in this episode, like blaster butting him in the face. Uh, true pretty great i i like that and then also she can't get her rifle to work and so she just like ends up using it as like a blunt instrument which is great although when she's cursing and there's been like six too many dank ferricks this season she's she also says son of a mud scuffer and i hate yeah. it i find it yeah, so stupid like either <laughs> there's another curse word that they used in rebels was carabast and i'm okay. surprised they're not used that in anything else um, I do. I do think it was funny the way she said, though. Oh, I think that did it. Excuse me, <laughs> and then just completely blast through a bunch of them. Um, uh, Luke says to to Grogu, "Come, little one," and Mando says he doesn't want to go with you. And Luke says he wants your permission. And you're like, yeah. "Oh no!" Now it's like now it has to be put on Din to make this horrible choice. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like Grogu, and it was so cool to see Grogu like putting his hand up on the monitor, like. Oh, he's here for me. I, and seeing the lightsaber, like, oh, I remember those. Mm. This isn't okay. Uh, and starting to see the like, the R2 thing is also interesting. Like, had he ever met R2 before? Very possible. 
It's yeah, a good point. I mean, there's only so many Jedi that operated the Jedi Temple. R2 um, has secretly met everybody at some point, so... Well, also, there weren't many people to survive Anakin's massacre at that temple. R2 was one of them, though. Right. And somehow so was Grogu. How do we? How did he get out of there? So that could be kind of an interesting... And it was interesting because it, it allows Grogu to feel more comfortable, and then he goes and kind of does his little reach-up to Luke, like, I'm with you now, buddy, but I, I don't walk very fast. This is a little bit of a nitpick, but I couldn't help but notice that when Grogu has handcuffs on, his hands could definitely slip through those handcuffs. Oh, could they? <laughs> his tiny little hands. They're these great big cuffs. He could definitely take those off. I loved how sleepy he was in this episode. Yeah. Uh, and someone pointed out, and of course this is it. It's because Moff Gideon took so much of his damn blood. Yeah. Yep, yeah, that's he's right. He's just like kind of like stoned out there when when uh, Din comes into the room and Gideon's got the dark saber over his head. Also, he is young and the force makes him tired. And suddenly Luke is there and that's a whole lot of force for his little body to take. Well, actually, inversely, that's what wakes him up. Okay. Well, that's true. He, yeah. He seems really sleepy. And then when Luke shows up, he's starting to like kind of, he, he wakes up and goes to the monitor and he's like, Dad, here, here, here's one. So I want to talk about the book of Boba Fett. I, I really have to pee because we're doing a morning podcast. Is there any chance we can like, uh, I don't know if you can like keep chatting because I know we're recording for video here and I don't know how. Um... Yeah, I'll, I'll keep chatting. Sure. Okay, cool. I'll be right back. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about kind of some of, kind of the, the little deep stuff. There was one cool thing that specifically on that planet that they had gone to to recruit Bo and Casca. Uh, as they land, there's a Mandalorian uh Calm or whatever i don't know how you actually pronounce it but it's their their gauntlet fighters and so they have uh their specific mandalorian fighters that they would have used in the mandalorian wars so that could be an answer as to how din maybe gets a new ship uh, he could be using a star fighter and then operate out of the the light cruiser that gideon has that i guess bo katan is now owns uh, so we're not exactly sure how his ship situation is going to go next year, but he could maybe operate that way or he could get uh, a new version of his ship, but it certainly his shit's not going to be the slave one. So that's a, that's a good sign uh, in the sense that that'll be very much for the, the book of Boba Fett. Uh, the cruel Imperial at the start was another thing that was like really great to see. And you see Pershing pretty quickly being like, I don't really need to be part of this empire thing. I've just kind of been still part of it. And so I have to, uh, kind of go with the flow because these other two jerky pilots have been have been leading the way. But one of them was pretty quick to uh, to be willing to to surrender to uh, to Kara as she boards. But the other one was just so damn cruel and points to the teardrop tattoo. Uh, and it once again brings up the point about all oh, the Death Star workers that died during that. And he sees the rebels as terrorists. And so it's. It's another good point in terms of kind of broadening out why these people are still involved with the Empire. I mean, he's clearly a bad guy. He shoots his colleague in the back. Um, but you still also have to, in some ways, see what's the twisted minds that they have. And after we had Valen Hess last week, and we get to see somebody a little bit lower on the totem pole, but still a believer. Uh, and that was another thing that was kind of kind of interesting to see. Um, anything else to talk about? Uh there was uh, the moment of just having those four badass women uh, was another great thing as well. Uh, the fact that you have uh, obviously Din sneaking out the back, but the fact that there's Fennec, Kara, uh, Casca, and Bo, uh, and uh, a lot of people were pointing it out just online at how, um, in particular, it felt nice to have a, a, a girl power moment that was completely non-pandering. Uh, and that it was most people you just don't even realize it until the end like oh those were all women that was really cool uh, but and that's probably to a degree why they didn't have axe woves in this episode was because they wanted to have that girl power moment and 
it yeah. just it would have been weird to have him there. I wondered um, about him though. Yeah, but it, it was it was just cool in the sense that it was just like, oh, these are just good characters that they've built up. Uh, and people were comparing it to like the kind of in your face, shove down your throat version done in Endgame. And so this was just a, a, a little bit more natural. And if you just have consistent good female characters, it doesn't really matter the way that you go about it. And people don't see it as being kind of a pandering moment. So that was nice. And and, and you got someone like Fennec who's doing like the badass shooting through like things and the kicks. Uh, I'm so thrilled that we're going to be getting more of her. She's really cool. Yeah, uh, you're yeah. right. I think I mentioned last week that I found her a little uninteresting and I have to take that back. I find her very cool. And frankly, I'm starting to really like Cara Dune. She's not the best actress in the world, but you're right. She had a good episode. And yeah. and right from the beginning, like she is, she owns that uh, like Imperial face off at the start with Dr. Pershing. Like, yeah, that's kind of what I was just chatting a little bit while you were in the washroom, just how like just revolting that guy was. He was good though. Like that guy really showed up for his one tiny Star Wars role. Yeah, it was just it was showing a a believer at a lower rung than like a Valen Hess guy, but you still have these people who, for some reason, still believe that the Empire was right, uh, and then using like the the Luke Skywalker was a terrorist sort of uh, mindset. What's next for Doctor Pershing? Because this is twice now he has like shown a moral compass, and it, it, Pershing is not an evil guy. No, He's I know, just not, uh, and so he will be arrested by the New Republic, likely, and he will serve a very short sentence, probably. I, I don't imagine that care. It would be great if he was used as like a confidential informant or um, was a, a, a useful source of information because he's a good actor, he's a good character, but doesn't really seem to fit in this anymore. And it's more likely going to be a character for like Rangers of the New Republic. It wouldn't surprise me if he fit more on that one now that he's uh, a prisoner of Kara's. True, yeah. And maybe he won't be brought back, but I just like, I find this guy kind of interesting and we haven't had um, like a scientist in Star Wars. Like we haven't had one of these like like lab guys in Star Wars in a long time, if ever. And so I think that there's like maybe well, a human one. Yeah, there's something to do there, especially since clones are clearly like a reoccurring implicity to Star Wars. They're going to they're gonna keep using that. And so, yeah, let's bring in the expert, especially if he's kind of a good guy. Yeah, and I, I just, I think if like maybe... Like the the birth of the first order is more likely to be the main villain in, of Rangers of the New of the New Republic potentially, and so potentially his knowledge of what their intentions are could make him a useful character. Since you mentioned the first order, is there a connection to draw between the fact that uh, Gideon keeps talking about order and the fact that the first order is on the horizon? Like that's clearly yes. what they're setting up, right? Yes, they're clearly setting up that that's how. Uh, Palpatine ran his operation to grow Snoke's. Yep. Grogu's blood is is what fuels Snoke. I think that that's pretty much a slam dunk. Uh, we don't know for sure, but that's 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 got to be part of the process. There's no there's no other logical instance, and it's completely set up that way. Especially after we saw the siege when like they had the tanks of like early version Snoke's, and they had the scar in the head the same spot. So it just, it makes too much sense. How are people going to react when that's confirmed and ultimately a, a series that has been embattled um, critically, uh, and I mean the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, is then kind of retconned and patchworked by the show that was supposed to be separate from it? Like, do are people going to be mad to see the cross-pollination of these two worlds? Yes and no. Yeah. Um, some people will be um, because those people can't be happy and have sad lives. That's yeah, um, true. Some that's kind of true. But people, if you begrudge the Clone Wars for making the prequels better, I'm sorry, I can't help you. 
Uh, and yep. so if, if you don't like the sequels, they're only going to get better for you from here on out. Mm -hmm. uh, if you like the sequels, they're only going to make more sense from here on out. Yeah. And you're probably going to only like them more from here on out. Uh, There's a reason why I, the reason why I get so frustrated at the rise of Skywalker is because it makes me like the force awakens less. The force awakens is so damn good. And they don't like it, people say, Oh, JJ went against all these things that Ryan Johnson did. No, he didn't. He went against everything he set up in the yeah. force awakens. Yeah. Ryan Johnson did a little bit of a misdirection and JJ dove it off a cliff in the end by going a completely different direction. Right. And so I think that by this taking a bit of a Clone Wars approach, and I think specifically because they have so many new properties now, the people don't have to worry about it. The Mandalorian being sacrificed so that we can get this other thing that pieces the galaxy together. No, we've got all these properties and they'll piece the galaxy together a little bit here and there. And so that the picture will kind of make up itself. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a show that carried more weight than others in terms of... Um, being that kind of Clone Wars conduit to make this time period like really filling in a lot of those gaps. Uh, I have, like I said before, I thought it would have been the best one to do that would have been um, something that starred Mark Hamill voicing Luke Skywalker in an animated show so that you can have Ben Solo be a character. Uh, and that would be one that particularly serves the sequels. But I think it's just a matter of if you can set up the first order really well, then that'll at least set up, okay, we've got another 25 years. So let's try and set up certain aspects of the sequel trilogy that maybe don't work as much on their own. And if we can build solid stories that also explain certain aspects, but aren't just trying to prove the validity of everything else, then it can kind of work. It's not, it's not so much Band-Aid work, but just cohesion. Although I would say that Rogue One was largely created as a, as a, bandage right like this is a this is a movie that that's main purpose is to help you better understand the original star wars a new hope and it doesn't suffer from that it's it's like if not it's to, not needed no but neither is the mandalorian like the, the point is like you can have something that's there just to help you better understand the greater story of star wars and ultimately it helps you like a new hope better and mm -hmm. because that opening scene of a new hope will never be viewed the same and um, and Rogue One on its own rules. And so I, I think you can have it both ways. I, I think you can. I definitely think you can. But I, I just, I think that's kind of where it comes is the fact that Rogue One, we didn't realize it, but was directly serving a new hope. Yep. And the Mandalorian isn't just directly serving one other thing. And so it, it does have that benefit in that it may serve the sequels, but stands alone on it on its own. In that's that all the better so, is what I'm trying exactly. to say. That, and, that, and that's me agreeing with you in yeah. the sense that that's why The Mandalorian is such a, a big checkbox. And I mentioned this to you, and I think a lot of people really agree. This is, it's the best thing Star Wars has done since 1983. Yeah. Uh, it's just in terms of consistency. Like I went through uh, and I kind of, I ranked all the episodes, all 16 of the episodes. Um, <laughs> I'm sure and you did. I just, I, I kind of thought it, I was like, you know what? 14 of the 16 episodes are an eight or to 10 or higher. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. It's incredible. And you get the, the gunslinger, which was the one with Jake Cannavale and then the big spider one from this year, which be the ones that maybe don't fall that, but, and even still eight of the 16, I would have it a nine or to 10 or higher. Wow. Half the series at a nine. Or, that's, that's incredible yeah. or higher. And so like an episode like this is right at the very end. And it's, it's the consistency. Like the Clone Wars was incredible. It has some of the best moments in Star Wars, but also has some of like the worst moments in Star Wars. Um, whereas this has been so consistent uh, top to bottom. Um, they've done a really good job of just like 
but it's also at the same time, not as limited of a content as movies. And so uh, they've really found a nice balance with these eight episodes. And when they do kind of other shows, it'll be interesting to see um, them finding that right balance for them as well. Like cast, like Andor, for example, is going to be 12 shows. Clearly they're sticking to uh, the fidelity of their story more so than they're, they're needing to follow a clear model. So if you wait until the end of the credits, uh, the final episode of season two of The Mandalorian, and it's like a long credit sequence with, by the way, no concept art for the first time ever. Um, yeah, I you, didn't I didn't stay for it. I, I found it on Reddit and had to go right back. <laughs> yes, and I should just say that like, uh, I woke up on Friday morning to a text from you that was like, don't go on the internet, don't go to work. And you were so right. Like Luke was trending all day long. It was, and you were able to give me a heads up that there's a post credit sequence. So I, you kind of like set me up for success, which I appreciate. Although I, I feel bad for anybody who was going to wait 48 hours to watch this episode of Mando because you were like really running a risk there. And yeah, I couldn't. And I was thinking a little bit about, just before we talk about Boba Fett, um, I was thinking a little bit about if Disney has a problem with all the TV series they're creating uh, for the on-demand forum because Game of Thrones was like the last like monoculture event TV, especially for like mainstream geek culture where everybody was watching at the same time. Like it was understood that this is what time Game of Thrones is on. Everybody's going to watch it tonight. And, you know, don't be an asshole with spoilers. Although it's pretty well established that like once you go forth, you're running a risk if you haven't seen it. Yeah. If you create something for streaming, which is inherently on demand, uh, even in a week by week appointment format, um, it's a little bit more precarious for fans because it is inviting them to watch it on their own time. Mm. And I think generally in the culture of movies, most people are not assholes and know the difference. Don't spoil Star Wars Episode Nine, for example. Mm. But a TV show is more um, event-oriented. And I think that going forward, if there's going to be big spoiler moments, it's going to be a struggle for some people who are active on the internet to mm -hmm. not have stuff ruined for them. Absolutely. That's Marvel's I, done a good job of that. Like they've created this like protective shield, so to speak, um, this like culture around them, which is like, I think the Russo brothers were kind of in charge of that. They're like, listen, don't be an asshole or you're no fan of ours. And Star Wars kind of needs to do something to create that same attitude, especially since their fans are bigger assholes than Marvel fans. Yeah, th that's, that's definitely true. Um, and it's especially important with leaks and stuff like that. And uh, it's great that, something like this didn't because everybody would have known about Luke Skywalker being in it if it had found its way to leak. And so yeah. uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's really great. Uh, I, I do worry a little bit about kind of like those big reveals in the future, but a little, it, and to be honest for that reason, it almost would make more sense if they had a better time to release it. Yeah. Um, like if they could, like, but then again, the morning still kind of works. A lot of people don't like to watch in the morning. I get up to make sure I watch it so I don't have to worry about any of it. Um, a lot of people in uh, California, for example, uh, would stay up, but then like that's the, the the far end there. And so most of people, it's the middle of the night when it's coming on. And so I don't know, it's kind of tough. I wonder a little bit if they were to release the whole season in one dump, like say Stranger Things or The Crown, would it be, you're right, there's a longer period of time for people to have the Luke Skywalker season finale spoiled, but it might be more intrinsic to our understanding of spoiler culture not to do that because then you understand that you watch this entire season at your own pace and you should be nice. Whereas everyone's experiencing the same 45 minutes of entertainment in the same 48 hours. Mm. And so it's a little bit more, gee, I want to talk about this now. Well, that's, but 
I, I totally, and that's the reason as to why they're doing it. Yeah, is because. Yep. Why would it? Why would Disney sacrifice having everybody talking about Mandalorian constantly for ten straight weeks um, instead of the week and a half that it was the number one bitched thing in the world by a, a country mile? Well, if you have everybody in the world talking about it for ten weeks, it'll be the number one thing talked about in the world by a country mile, regardless. Right. Well, and and this time next year they might have maybe twelve, maybe. 16 weeks in a row of star wars at the end of the year because what we know and this mm. is this is getting let's towards talk about this now let's yeah. talk about it so the credits end in mandalorian and then we get twin sunset pan over to jabba's palace which we haven't seen since 83 inside bib fortuna now like a little heavier a lot heavier yeah <laughs> sits on the throne in jabba's palace he's got a slave chained up he's got like a bunch of cronies and minions hanging around just like in the jabba days yeah. Um, and he's just kind of living it up as the the fat uh, ruler of the Tatooine underworld. And then we see a shadow on the stairwell, which is classic, and I love it. And it's Fennec Shand. She comes down, frees the slave. Everyone runs off. Uh, Bib Fortune is terrified. Then we see another shadow, and it's Boba Fett. Boba! I thought you were dead. Uh, and really doesn't give him much more opportunity to, to chat it out. Boba Fett just shoots Bib Fortuna dead. And yeah. he slumps over in the seat. Boba pries him out of the chair sits down fennec sits on the arm of the chair and we get a title card which is the book of boba fett coming december 2021 which is also when mando season three comes out no so this is the reason god people are dumb uh it was really Did you just call me dumb no not you um the internet was so confused over yeah. mando season three yeah but it's because kathleen kennedy was being a dummy okay and then there is no one knows when Mando season three is coming out now. Okay. I really thought it was coming on Christmas day. We were told it was. Okay. Uh, because Kathleen Kennedy said the next chapter of the Mandalorian will be coming out at Christmas. And then we heard that the book of Fett's coming out December. And then some people were like, is that the same thing? And we're like, no, it's not the same thing. And John Favreau confirmed, no, it's not the same thing. But that was what Kathleen Kennedy was talking about. Oh, that's disappointing. The next chapter of the Mandalorian is the book of Boba Fett. Season three of the Mandalorian will be like, they're currently filming the book of Boba Fett. When it's done, they'll film The Mandalorian. They'll go right into it. So potentially, we could be getting it Christmas uh, next year. But to be clear, I'm the Book of Boba Fett no. is, is the Book of Boba Fett is not a season of The Mandalorian. To be clear, no, it is not. Okay, um, but that's what everybody thought, or a lot of people thought, and then a lot of people thought, no, that's ridiculous. But it's it was miscommunication on Disney's part a little bit. Um, that's disappointing. That sucks. It is disappointing, but we don't know. It could be at the very beginning of 2022. It could be Christmas. And the John Favreau was just like, God damn it, Kathy. We were supposed to be like, we don't know if we can hit that deadline yet, or we don't want to tell people to book Boba Fett's only four episodes or like, we don't know. Right. Uh, book Boba Fett is Favreau Filoni and Robert Rodriguez. So he's joining the, the, the trio as he was so perfect on his one episode, even though he was only uh, brought in last minute, he was clearly the right guy for it. Well, I want to know a little bit more about that last minute story because it's it seems so decisive that Robert Rodriguez is is doing the episode about Boba Fett's return and then he's also one of the showrunners for the Boba Fett series and he's so um instrumental in the like the production design of this new iteration of Boba Fett which is like violent and brutal which is what you want from Boba Fett. But it was Fett. a year ago though. That's the thing. And he was only given he was given a 19-page script and so they that's what Favreau said it was just like 
you, you have the ability to put whatever action you kind of want in to beef up the length of this episode. And so that's why he was able to do so much of those sort of things. Okay. Uh, everybody now is uh, confident that Danny Trejo will be in the show as well. I think it's possible. I know you I kind think of it's extremely possible. You kind of hated the idea when we talked about it before, but like there's definitely a way to make Danny Trejo a mechanic in Star Wars. I kind of hate his face for it. I really make him an alien. Okay. He's too Danny Trejo. <laughs> yeah, you think he's distracting? Yeah, he's Danny Trejo. <laughs> he's got so. I love the title of the Book of Boba Fett. I think that's it's so excellent. Classy. I think this is in general, this is such a classy way to announce something. Like I it, think we're definitely going to be getting a Sarlacc flashback. Um, Boba and Fett are tif- different greens. And oh. one of them is more acid stained. Fett is more acid stained, I think, in the logo. And so that's my guess. We're going to get the flashback cool. so that we get the... Um, that's kind of one of one of the outstanding questions about this show, right? Is the timeline. Because to, to me... Uh, him, it, it's Mando. Okay, yeah, but like I, I think that there's like a broader story to tell with with Boba Fett in general because the way he sits on that throne feels very conclusive to me. Be- uh, maybe it's the Game of Thrones of it all, but it feels like all right now he's sits on the Iron Throne of Tatooine. Um, I would like to see him uh, survive the Sarlacc and 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 all kinds of other stuff. And like I I don't know if we're gonna be treated to that. It's it's supposed to be of this timeline, so I think it's gonna be a continuation. I don't think it's gonna be. Um like a backtrack, but I assume we'll get a flashback. I'd be shocked if we don't get him get coming out of the Sarlacc pit. Um, but it, the story will take place of him being um, in charge of Jabba's palace or whatever, but it's going to be more kind of a gangster approach it, or a little bit. I'm curious to know, is he going to kind of clean up Tatooine a little bit? Is he going to maybe like work with Cobb Vanth? Is that the reason why he didn't kill him? That's the thing is uh, he's kind of a good guy right now. A little bit. I yeah. mean, they just freed a slave and killed Bib Fortuna. Yeah. Like, is Boba Fett going to try and kind of reclaim a little bit of armor with that, a little bit of honor with that armor? Um, so it, it could be kind of interesting to see, uh, is it going to be a revenge tour? Some people have predicted that, like, Boba is going to go looking for Han Solo. Uh, I don't know how you would ever want to do, how you could ever try to do that. But when it comes to revenge, um, Mace and Han Solo would be top two on his list. Uh, and we know one of them is very likely dead. Yeah, well, the other one's definitely not. You're not getting Harrison Ford back. No, and I don't want Alden either. Don't bring back Alden Ehrenreich. No, they're not going to do Solo. No, I don't want them to do that, but it is really cool to see what can be done. Um, I am excited for that show. I'm bummed that it's going to delay when we get Mando Season 3, but hopefully not by too much. Um, We get Bad Batch next year. We get um, Book of Boba Fett next year, Um, and we'll get an absurd number of things in 2022 so we get mando season three obi-wan um and or and probably season two of bad batch yeah it's gonna be something else it's gonna be a good uh couple of years to be a star wars podcaster if if a busy time is this a natural transition into the news anything that we can discuss about we're kind of doing the news yeah exactly yeah because there's really not a whole lot else to say um because they were focusing all of this on reserving the book of boba fett um, there really hasn't been much else said about Rogue Squadron. Um, Jeremy Bullock passed away. Uh, so I guess we're talking about the book of Boba Fett. This is maybe the only other news story. Isn't that weird? So sadly linked. Yeah. Isn't it so weird that the guy who originally played Boba Fett died on the same in the same 24 hours as the announcement of the book of Boba Fett? And he has no That's involvement right. in the show, but like, what an amazing coincidence. 
Mm, and it was like, I, I, because I'm not a huge Boba Fett fan or, or, or wasn't my biggest fandom for Boba Fett has come from the last month by right. a landslide. Right. Um, so I've, I've watched a few interviews with him. And so it was really weird for me because I'd never watched an interview with Jeremy Bullock before I'd watched him with Timur Morrison before, but so like I had only ever seen this guy in and like a couple of days later, I let's see that he had passed away. I was just like, Oh, that's super I, sad. I looked up to see if he was still alive the other day. And, and you liked him. You said he seemed like a sweet guy. He, he seemed like a really sweet guy. Yeah. He loved, he clearly loved uh, his involvement in the galaxy far, far away. Uh, it was very clear that uh, he, Daniel Logan uh, and Tamara Morrison uh, got along at, and as like, cause they were the, they're the Boba Fetts. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of cool. Right, right. Uh, of course, very sad as well. I wonder if uh, tomorrow Morrison will consider like slimming down a little bit. He was wearing a lot of stuff there. Um, and I think he's, I, I think he's like, got like pot belly strength too. Oh no, he's not like a schlub. Don't get me wrong. But like, he's also like, I don't know. He doesn't look like a martial artist or something. I'm not sure what I'm, what I'm looking for in him yeah he's, he's i think he's going for the maori warrior look uh it was interesting someone posted a picture online the way he wears his gun belt mm. and the way his pants are kind of like uh like hammer pants yeah uh, it, it's a little bit of uh of an homage likely to the maori warrior style okay which is cool and, and the way he uses the gaffy stick is very much that case anything else going on in the news that we should we should touch on no, I mean, the big thing was the Book of Boba Fett and how that kind of changes the release schedule for Mando Season 3. Uh, it, I mean, Mando has been everywhere in the news. Uh, it's just dominated this week because uh, of the Luke Skywalker of it all and uh, what's going to happen next with Grogu. But uh, I mentioned to you, certainly, let's, uh, let's hope some Empire Strikes Back of Grogu where he uh, he tells Luke, uh, my friends are in danger. Have you, ever, have you ever felt that where your friends are in danger and your master didn't want you to leave? please right <laughs> yeah save my dad luke so as not to be a hypocrite would have to be somewhat accommodating to that although luke i would was, think so luke was right when i like i never really understood why yoda was discouraging luke from from pausing his training when clearly it was the right thing to do yeah but he didn't want he, he knew what vader was going to tell him yes um but he didn't necessarily know that luke was strong enough to to turn that away or that vader was maybe strong enough to not kill him or that Luke would survive such a fall sort of thing. Like it doesn't go well for Luke. Yoda's kind of right. <laughs> You're right. But ultimately it goes well for Luke. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's all we have to say. Um, I mean, maybe not. There was just so many things in this exactly. episode. And we have a whole year to talk about those things. Yeah. And that's, that's really, really exciting. So send along your thoughts, please um, uh, on, on this, this last episode uh, of season two of the Mandalorian, any predictions you might have for the book of Boba Fett or predictions for any star Wars thing uh, to come. Also in the new year, we're going to get back to doing uh, recorder six and six, our lists, our, our countdowns of some of our favorite and least favorite and most um, most pressing Star Wars observations and opinions. Uh, so if you have any ideas on themes uh, that we could do for episodes and you'd like to participate, we would, of course, uh, love to hear from you. I guess I want to say a couple of happy birthdays before we uh, say goodbye for the holidays. On Tuesday, December 22nd, a happy birthday to Hugh Corshi, uh, who played Captain Panaka. Panaka. Uh, next Tuesday, the 29th, happy birthday to Diego Luna, who's gearing up to be in more Star Wars, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> this Saturday, Boxing Day, December 26th, happy birthday to Tamora Morrison. So that was good timing. Yeah. Very, very good. Um, yes, as I said, uh, we'd love to hear from you at Recorder 66 Podcast. Uh, nope, I always get this wrong. <laughs> at Recorder 66 on Twitter, Recorder 66 Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, please rate and review on your preferred podcast app. Have a safe and lovely holiday season, and until we are together again, may the force be with you. Mm -hmm.